thank you everyone for um for joining us this evening on Sunday night. Hopefully you've enjoyed a day of, of football or whatever your passion is. Um, we're very fortunate tonight to have a, a guest that Connor and I were invited to his lab at his company, um, a significant uh, life sciences lab that does some really cool stuff, which we're not going to say much about because he's going to introduce himself. He's both a UMaine engineer and a UMaine MBA and very proud of it. And so he spent some time with us in his lab earlier this week. And I think, and we have some stuff to wrap it into why understanding what the day in the life of a CEO looks like uh, to wrap it up. But he, without further ado, I think Connor, unless you have anything to add, I think we should get right to uh, Ross's presentation and all the intros and stuff are in the presentation. So enjoy. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our second Dean's Huddle of this academic year. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm very, very excited to have a CEO and an alumni of the MBA program here to talk with us today. So tonight's topic is around the life of the CEO. We're going to learn a little bit about Ross and his background. His background is quite impressive. So I've gotten to know Ross over the last year and a half or so. We we're actually live close together and do run together, which is kind of fun. He's a UMaine engineer. He's a UMaine MBA, as I mentioned. And he's got an incredible uh, career history that we're going to talk about. He's been away from Maine for a lot, just recently came back. He's CEO of this organization. He's led organizations in Japan and other parts of Asia, and most recently in California. So we're lucky to have him back in the state, that's for sure. And he's leading Yokogawa Fluid Imaging, which is a really interesting story, which he's gonna tell, a life sciences organization right here in Scarborough in the greater Portland area. So welcome, Ross. Maybe tell us a little bit about the company, uh, your background, anything I missed, and say hi to our uh, MBA viewers. Great, well, thank you, Norm. It's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to have, have you and the University of Maine and the Graduate School of Business uh, here at our facility. Um, as Norm mentioned, I'm Ross Bryant, uh, President and CEO of Yokogawa Fluid Imaging Technologies. We are a Maine company, uh, celebrated our 22nd anniversary uh, just this past year. Um, born out of uh, Booth Bay, Maine, um, and a privately held company for many years and just recently um, in the last couple of years was acquired by Yokogawa, a very large multinational uh, Japanese firm. Um, as Norm mentioned, I was in California uh, prior to this um, and have lived in Japan myself and have experience there and, um, you know, excited to be back here in the state of Maine. Wonderful. And Ross also speaks some Japanese and knows the culture well, hence the nice fit with this organization, I think. So let's, let's kick it off with a question a bit about um, your role as a CEO. I think this is a goal for a lot of the people that are, that are gonna listen today. And tell us about your, what, what's a typical day in the life look like for Ross Bryan and maybe some of the challenges that you're facing? Sure, yeah, great, Norm. You know, I mean, certainly one of the, the, the difficulties in, in, in these times, right, is it's, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of turbulence, right? Um, and that really drives what I'm doing now. Um, and it's really around three areas, uh, supply chain, labor, and most recently around uh, currency fluctuation, right? Um, and what that has meant um, ultimately is, you know, my role has had to be less strategic and more tactical as we, you know, we fight these, these challenges and fight these fires. So, you know, take supply chain, for example. Um, we, prior to these supply chain issues, had a number of wonderful initiative, lean initiatives around improving operational excellence and productivity. Um, but all of that sort of has had to take a back seat um, as we deal with day-to-day -day challenges on, on supply chain, 
right? Either delays, uh, product quality issues, you know, supplier parts issues, uh, quality there. Um, and so we've just had to fight numerous fires. Um, so just had to be very tactical uh, because of these supply chain disruptions. Um, take, uh, well, and I, I guess in addition to that, even my engineering team, who you wouldn't think would necessarily need to be involved in operations, um, many of my engineering staff have had to put, you know, new product development initiatives on hold because we're trying to source um, other components and need to qualify those vendors, um, re-engineer some of our internal components of our products, um, and so on and so forth. And so again, you know, needing to pivot and just fight the day to day. And um, so that's put some of our product development um, schedules on, on hold or have pushed back um, uh, the schedules. Uh, Labor is another big one. I mean, everybody talks about it, of course. Um, for us, um, you know, just trying to grow the business um, and at the rate at which we're trying to grow, a lot of that is now limited by our ability to find, find talent, right? Um, not just here in the state of Maine, but, but globally as we continue to expand our business. And then lastly, as I mentioned, some, um, currency. So that's been a big one. Over half of our business is done outside the United States. Um, and everyone has seen is what's happened with, with currency um, and exchange rate fluctuations. And so that's, uh, you know, that's been a, a, new, a new fire that I'm, I'm currently battling. All challenges, all challenges. And it, and it sounds like a, a daunting task. So give us an example, just as a follow-up of you know, a typical day. I know there probably isn't one, but when a CEO, give, give the, everyone a bit of a flavor. So you arrive here, I'm sure very early in the morning and you stay too late and we're probably taking you away from your work right now. Are you connecting with Japan? How much time are you spending in the lab? You're also a scientist yourself. Like how much time is on in meetings? Give us an idea of what, like what does a CEO deal with I'm sure it's like a fire hose, but what is, what's a typical day if there is one? Sure, like? sure. So, so we operate off a strategic business plan, right, that, that drives our business not only for, for the 12-month the period, but out to three years. Um, and so that drives a lot of, you know, how I think about, you know, what my responsibilities are and how we operate. Um, and innovation is key to what, what we do, what we have done, and what we hope to do in the future. Um, so I'm constantly looking in with our new product development group to see what's happening on the innovation side and, and are we keeping schedule with, with these new product initiatives. Um, and then yes, I'm, I'm touching base with Japan almost on a, on a daily basis uh, with the parent organization to, um, you know, to communicate with them, but then also our global offices. And so you know, the European situation is, is obviously challenged, I think much more so than here in the US at the moment. Um, so, our European headquarters is based in Germany and working with those folks to, to understand what, what their needs are and, 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 uh, and the turbulence that they're facing. Wonderful, that's great. Well, let's, back to the first question, you talked about some of the challenges. Let's flip it around and talk about some of the exciting things, the opportunities. Talk to us about what you're seeing kind of at the main level, national level, and a global level. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, certainly one of the things that's really exciting about our business is we do really important things, right? Um, we're helping solve some of you know, the, the world's biggest, biggest challenges with our technology, right? And so as you mentioned, we're really a life science, we're an instrumentation company, but we serve the life science market. And so when you think about that, it's biopharmaceutical development. You know? So we played a role in the COVID vaccine development, right? And the characterization of the COVID vaccine for those that manufactured that product. Um, 
We are in the water quality monitoring business. Um, and so I think everybody understands what it means to have not only clean drinking water, uh, but also clean rivers, streams, lakes, and, and oceans. Um, so that's really exciting, right? And, and, and highly motivating, not just for me, um, but for all of our staff, right? Um, that there, there's a real purpose behind, behind what we do. Um, so that said, you know, looking at, you know, what are, what are some of the things sort of within Maine, nationally and internationally, I think on the Maine side, um, you know, we have an opportunity to really continue to grow and expand our business. And as not only a UMaine alum in the engineering school and the business school, but also uh, probably a fourth or fifth generation Mainer, right, I'm really committed to having us here and continuing to, to grow our business and scale our business here in the state of Maine. And so, although, you know, we do little business here, you know, in terms of uh, commerce and selling our instruments, there's a real opportunity to partner with the state to help us continue to make this our home. It has been our home for 22 years and hope to make it our home for, for the next 20, um, but also for the state to help us with labor, right? Um, you know, our, our needs are unique, right? You know, finding highly qualified scientists and engineers and, and, and business folks is, is not easy. Um, so partnering with the state and institutions and, and programs like yourself uh, to make sure that we have the, the labor available so that we can grow the business here in the state the way we want it. Um, and then nationally and internationally, um, you know, it's continued to expand on what, what we're doing. Over half our business is outside the U.S. Um, and we continue to, to scale and, and grow that. Um, and using, using the state of Maine, using Scarborough specifically as our headquarters for, for doing that. Hey, I'm going to guess it's a question that a lot of people are having that I do. When you talked about the water quality monitoring, if I got that right, and that's very interesting and wonderful thing. Tell us about like, how technological has that become? Don't give us any trade secrets, but what kind of, like, what are you doing there? And how are you look, like, working with organizations that are serving as governments and others to help make Tell us a bit about that, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interest from our... our sure, audience. sure, absolutely. Well, it, it probably starts with talking a little bit about our core technology. Okay. So our core technology is imaging microscopy. It's a fancy way of saying automated microscope, Okay. right? So we took what, what has traditionally been a manual microscope and built a, a very highly automated system. Um, and so when you think of microscope, you're typically thinking of looking at very, very small things, right? And so in the industry, we just say, we refer to that as subvisible, right? And so there's a lot of concern and interest around what's in the water at a microscopic level, things that you can't see, right? Um, that could be a nuisance um, or could be toxic, right? Um, and so that's, that's the value that we provide to, let's say, municipal water facilities who are providing drinking water to, to residential and commercial, commercial facilities or you know the lakes that you swim in or the ocean for our fish and so on and so forth making sure that those ecosystems at the microscopic level are vibrant and diverse but also free of contaminants or these other things that can be you know of detriment to to to, to society i think our 50 or so uh, sustainability majors in the mba are going to be happy to hear that answer. Let's let's flip to the students for a little bit. And I mean, you've got an incredible background, a great success story as an MBA. What advice might you offer to someone who's 
know, doing their MBA right now. And as you know, we've got a, a variety of, of students of differing ages, some our ages, some sure. younger, some even older than us, different backgrounds. You know, it's, it's a wonderful degree that leads places, but what advice would you give to how to leverage their uh, degree sure. going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at, at the most basic level, the fundamentals are important, right? So, you know, really understanding, um, you know, finance and understanding how to read an income statement properly in a balance sheet, right? So I think that that's 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 an important basis. Um, you know, understanding how to use the, the various tools for uh, of marketing and understanding that in market research. So, I, so the foundation is key. Um, what's become increasingly more important though, from my perspective and the MBAs that we hire is around leadership and leadership qualities, right? And not only acting as a leader, but how do you engage your teams and groups that you, that you lead, right? So that's very important. Analytics and data science has become a huge part, and that really wasn't part of my MBA 20 plus years ago, um, but it's become, become so important today um, because there's so much data available given that we're such a, you know, uh, on a, such a digital platform, especially with our business, right? And so how do you pull all of this information together that resides in all of these different places um, and turn it into something that's, um, that's very useful? Um, and then the other piece um, that's uh, become important, especially here recently, is resiliency as it relates to, you know, crisis management, right? Um, and being able to, to pivot and adjust in, in, in such an uncertain, uncertain world. So, you know, those things weren't as prevalent when I was doing my MBA. It was more the sort of the foundational piece. Um, and, that, and that's important and matters. Uh, but you know, these elements of leadership, um, of, of data science, data analytics, big data, um, and this, this idea of resiliency and um, being able to, to, to work through uh, challenging situations is becoming increasingly important. That's great. I mean, one thing you'll, you'll be happy to hear is the most popular concentration of the MBA, the main MBA, is analytics. With sure, almost 100 sure. So I can imagine. A lot of them are interested in that. And, and I think what you make a really neat point I'd like to get your comment on is you know, the, the majority are working full-time. And this has become the majority in the United States now. Unlike us, we quit mm -hmm. our jobs and then our MBAs and did some debt. They're working and doing right. it online in hybrid environments. So, how would you think you could, you know, if you've got your, your regular job, you're doing your, you know, your MBA at night, and it's the, I'm lasering in on that leadership piece you talked about, which is really challenging to do in a kind of a classroom environment, or if you're in a very specific task-oriented job, which a lot are. What kind of things would you advise that they might be able to do to build some of those leadership qualities that you talk so well about? Is there any... Anything you'd suggest? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's tough because some of it is, you know, through through self-learning, as you as you as you mentioned, a lot of it isn't isn't textbook. Um, I, you know, I guess for me, I've 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 done it through learning from others, right? Okay. So finding a, finding a good mentor or set of mentors, right, who really exhibit um, and really live that sort of that leadership life, right, um, and so. Um, I guess that would be my advice: is to try to find find those individuals who who really, you know, no, again, not only I think to me, you know, being a good leader is is a, a lot of what I focus on here is too is around employee engagement, right? How can I bring the team up? So it's not about this idea, maybe old school idea of you have the leader right. and everybody else, right? But how can I bring everyone 
together in a way that we have highly engaged, highly motivated, right, uh, individuals um, to, to better our, our business. Um, and especially a business like ours, but I'm sure most too for the, um, for the students, you know, we've got some really talented and smart people, right? right. So the, the more I can engage them and the more that I can, I can get out of them and, and have them lead, uh, you know, just the better the, the, the business we're gonna be. Before we let you go, um, this has been great. Uh, maybe you could give some last words of advice, something from your background, from fluid imaging, your experiences for audience tonight. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Norm. You know, and I think what I'll do is I'll go back to to how we started the conversation and and talk a little bit about uh, you know my background and the diversity of my background and and how valuable I think that is and the diversity of the experiences that I've had. Right. So I started my career as an engineer. Right. And. Uh, master's degree in, in material science and MBA um, and worked um, uh, in a very technical environment for, for, for uh, quite some time and then had the opportunity to go live overseas and I took advantage of that um, and gained a, a wonderful experience in, in doing that and, and being, uh, being in that environment um, and then transitioned more into to business and commercial facing roles. So I guess my advice would be uh, just based on my experience and, and my career development, you know, all of that has made me a better CEO, uh, I think a better business leader, um, and, a, and a better person within, within a business environment. And so I guess what I'm saying is for, for your students who are listening tonight, it would be, you know, take advantage of all the opportunities to, to build a very uh, diverse and broad uh, resume and, and set of experiences. Um, it, you know, it has served me very well. Um, you know, I feel like I can communicate effectively across the organization. I feel like I can communicate effectively with our offices and business partners all over all over the world. And so, um, I've never shied away from taking taking advantage of of those opportunities. And um, I think that 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 broad background and set of experiences has, has served me very well. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully you, you enjoyed hearing from Ross as much as uh, as we did when we went there. And, and Connor and I actually spent probably a good hour afterwards talking to him and touring around. And you can see some of the uh, the pieces that uh, Connor put in the video, which is wonderfully well done of the background and and the technology that they they have. So just a couple of very quick things here for me, and then we'll open it up to any questions you might want to ask about the role uh, of, of a CEO and, and what it is. This is obviously our second huddle. Just wanted to show our, our lovely graphic that uh, Connor has done up. And we heard from him and then this quick summary. So just a few things to kind of take away and think about. You might be saying, well, why why the heck do I care? What's the life of a, of a CEO and why is it worth listening to him? I think there's amazing, his comments on the trends, obviously he's got his fingers on the pulse of all those things like from currency changes to inflation to, to talent, all those things that he talked about. Very, very interesting. The technology they do is wonderful. But beyond that, in general, what do you take away from that? Well, here's just a couple of brainstorm thoughts that we we thought we would share with you. And the first one is a lot of you probably might want to be one, right? And so pretty interesting to hear from somebody because it is not an easy job, right? Imagine, think of the things he's balancing and the stresses he's under as you heard there, his company is is owned by a large uh, Japanese conglomerate. That's why they specifically picked him out and and hired him to lead this company in Maine, got him back from California, back to, to where he was from. 
Uh, think of the challenges there. They're, they're a multi, multi-billion dollar organization with operations all over the world, really challenging. And then you're kind of the vehicle down to the staff below. You all work for one now. Sometimes we call them executive directors or, or other terms, presidents for organizations of different size. But somebody at the end of the day is responsible for the resource operations and management decisions that are tough to make. The ones that mean people get less or people get more, or certain people get advantaged over other people or certain business units or ideas people want to do may or may not be supported. At the end of the day, uh, the buck stops with that person. They work for, uh, it depends on the situation. This is very generic, but typically you in a private sector, they would report into the ownership group. Sometimes they are the owner. We'll talk about that in a second, but or, or they're responsible to someone who takes all of the financial risk or in a not-for-profit context. And, and some large, large publicly traded organizations, it will be a board of directors. So some group that may be volunteers or elected that makes the decisions of what they want to do. So they're the single person that all below them yet above them in professional sport, this is the commissioner, right? The commissioner is the term we use to talk about a CEO. So a really challenging position between that group that takes the risk, owns, or is elected to manage that, that organization, and then all the staff and the activities uh, below it. I think all of us, I think I would be just as guilty of this as anybody, probably underestimate how hard it is. We know these people are well-paid, they get lots of attention, their staff look up to them, but above, but it, it, as you heard from him, it is a busy, busy, challenging job with many, many different activities. And you kind of go away from being, in his case, a scientist with specific expertise, and now you're responsible for the whole breadth of the operation. And the last two points there, which are, because we all, hey, the CEO is typically the highest paid person in the organization. Well, not in a university, it's the football coach, but in most places, it's the highest paid position in the university, right? Or in the, in the organization. And, and they're, they're, they're challenging, but as you see, and if you read all the research that's done on CEOs, they almost always, unless they're the owner operator, turn over. May really successful ones may last five or six or seven years. Sometimes they're fired. Sometimes they just run out of gas. Sometimes it's a change of strategic direction. But it's much like a head coach of a professional sports club. You are you are paid very very well, but you know there's a short term duration to your particular position. Unlike other fields or other jobs in an organization where you may expect to leave on your own terms and maybe retire from that particular place. And then lastly, the one below is, is when they are the owner, and this is an important point, and a lot of you work in some of these or will work in some of these contexts, when it's a smaller business, maybe an agency, maybe a startup, the CEO or the president is also probably and often the person who's putting in a lot of their own income or investment. I mean, often cases they're putting a startup on their own lines of credit to keep people paid because they can't have their staff leaving. When the business gets under pressure, they're taking on the financial responsibility for every one of their staff, their children, their scholarship funds, the pressure is enormous. Now, as we put in brackets there, the reward is also significant because they will benefit more than everybody else when it goes. When you put it in the context of the fact that you know less than 10% of startup ventures in the United States ever go to market or are successful, you do have to respect the people that can take on those particular positions. So I think you've got a lot of the kind of specific background and details from Ross. We wanted to kind of package it together and have some takeaways for you. When you think about what it means as an MBA to think about, hey, do I want to do this? Certainly going to work for these people. You're going to be very close to them as you move up 
the ladder in your particular organizations in your particular fields. So it's pretty important to have a bit of an understanding. And that was the, the uh, idea of the topic for tonight. So with that, Connor, I think we, if people have some, we would certainly take a few questions. And uh, if not, we're certainly welcome to let everyone enjoy the rest of their Sunday evening. Sure, Norm. I actually just had one from <clears throat> obviously filming with you guys and watching that video over a lot. I kept having this one question come to mind um, just based on the fact of, of Ross's background. Um, obviously, very strong science background that blends nicely with obviously the field of which the company he's the CEO yeah. of. Do you find that more often than not, the CEO of the organization typically has experience with that exact industry or is that actually not the norm when it comes to finding placement for that position yeah great question and certainly in the life sciences and uh this is just based on you know what i've read and, and seen it's almost essential and one of the things that that he talked about offline uh and and you certainly were there connor was the in europe a lot of the life science ceos are double doctorates so they're expecting you to have a doctorate in science and a doctorate in business to become the CEO of a major biopharma or any life sciences. So in that world, you really need kind of the street cred, right, of understanding the science, even though he's not practicing it anymore. When he gets in the room with, you know, extremely smart people who are studying some very specific piece, as he mentioned, I mean, they were involved with the, the testing procedure for the temperatures of the COVID vaccine you can't be making mistakes, right? On those kind of those kind of contracts, right? So he has the credibility where if he didn't have that in that field, really challenging. Now, could we say in another field, maybe, you know, you get away with it if you don't have as much specificity, if it's not as technical, perhaps on your own, you could do it or you could you could learn and work up to it. It's just like being a dean of a, of a university uh, school or faculty, you before you can get there, you have to kind of be a full professor. So you kind of have to earn your stripes. Now, is it essential for the job? You could argue yes or no. But I think from the perspective of someone who who needs to work into that and understands that it has the credibility with external constituents is very, very important. And so that's uh, that, that, that's kind of what he said. And I think from, from what we've seen and what we've read. Okay, great. Thank you. So I think if you flip that around, it's a great question. If you flip that around for any of you, and we've talked about this in our career development sessions before. The idea is being, what's the kind of the currency? So if you do want to be a CEO, if I said that first takeaway point, say, yeah, yeah, that's me. I want to lead an organization. I, I want that job. You got to look back and say, well, what are the pieces I need to have? So in the in the you saw him, he has his engineering background, scientist for a long time, MBA, work his way up in the business and research development side, boom, gets a shot to be a CEO, right? So what are the pieces that I I kind of need to have? To get there and in certain industries it might be learning some languages which we've talked about before or adding a certain designation or a certain training or a certain experience for instance most people that want to be a chief marketing officer it's almost essential that at some point in your career you've done a sales job and that you've done a market research job so whatever your goal is for these leadership positions it's a great question connor figure out exactly what they are and you got a long runway to get there I mean, he's late 40s, right? So you get you get to be there. That that takes a while to get there. And so you can think about it in that context as you pull it away from your own professional development. Anyone else have anything they would uh, like to ask or talk about? I can go for one question, Norm. Great, thanks. Uh, was there anything in your discussion that surprised you based on 
either the industry, his role from working left coast and right coast or Japan or just him being a Mainer and then moving away. Was there anything in general to his background that surprised you that you thought was different than other CEOs you've dealt with? Yeah. I mean, I've had the good fortune of, of I, I run with him, so I get to talk to him quite a bit and he's quite a fast runner. So I like to make him talk, but the, um, the, uh, he, one of the things that really came across great question was this, this focused effort of the company when they sought him out. So I think this is a really interesting takeaway that I got thinking about more for you all that if you're thinking of this as a CEO, CEO, where you want to go, they don't post these jobs on, you know, indeed, right? They may have to throw it up there, but they're not hiring there. When they're, when they're picking someone to lead their organization and they're putting all the risk on the line, there's a board of directors and owners, they're targeting people. And he had those pieces we talked about before to Connor's question, but also he spoke Japanese. He's worked in Japan, I think seven years, he, whatever he said, he lived there, understands the culture, which is completely different, yet is also an American, had worked in California, got the street cred of Silicon Valley and all that stuff, and was willing to come back to Maine, which a lot of people, he said very few people come back to, Cal to Maine from California when they get there. He was willing to do that. So when they're targeting and thinking about these jobs, they're focused on, on who exactly they want. You think about a, a D1 athletic program hiring a new coach, right? They're not putting out resumes. They are targeting specific people they know who can fit the job and those skills. That was interesting for me and how important those cultural and global experiences were and language abilities were in for them in that kind of hiring. The second thing I would add to your question was that the, you heard him talk about the currency fluctuations and these things. And often we think about that from a, an investment perspective, but has comments about the challenges when you're in the country where the currency is roaring, right? So the U.S. economy is outperforming so many economies around the world right now and has been for a couple of years. That's amazing for everyone with here with investments, U.S. dollars. But when your customers are earning their dollars or getting their grants or whatever it is in a different currency, it's hugely problematic because all of a sudden your prices have gone up for them 10, 15, 20%, but nothing's changed for you. And I thought that was a really interesting comment he made. And often we don't think, I think that's intuitive, but you often don't think about that in a global business. So those would be two um, that kind of came where we're, we're good learnings, at least uh, from the discussion. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Is there anyone else? And and then we'll certainly, like we always do, we'll stop the recording. And if anyone wants to talk about anything uh, offline that isn't being recorded, we will we can do that afterwards. So, all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And I know Ross was really excited about this, and we're going to package this all together and share it with all of your uh, your hundreds of classmates. And uh, and hopefully it will get well followed. I think there was a lot of really really useful stuff that he shared. So, thank you, Ross, and thank you everyone for joining us tonight.